0: welcome to the don't die podcast sponsored by aloe treatment centers they're out in malibu they're in silver lake it's a treatment center i started with some friends we want you to get the right treatment the right program for you and stop dying there it is chuck oh
1: my goodness don't
0: die the message of the day
1: the message of the decade you know, that's funny mike Mart was talking about technology and it freaks me out to hear that intro and look at you and your mouth isn't moving <laughs> yeah, waiting, <laughs> i'm waiting not, i'm not a, i'm a waiting to move it
0: so <laughs> so here's the interesting thing about don't die i i just i've been telling clients that for since i don't know like the last seven eight years for sure especially when they're leaving ama and so you know in the and the whole, reco- the whole recovery industry is based on marketing that is trying to scare parents that their kids are going to die if you don't pay them money for their kid to go to the- your rehab center, right? So Don't Die permeates the addiction community, the addiction treatment community. And, and I started thinking, if we started Don't Die podcast and just we're talking directly to addicts and directly to families, We could educate the families like I've always said, and I know this sounds crazy, but if you just discovered that your daughter is on heroin right now tonight and she's 18, 19, 20, 22 years old, right? And she's been on heroin for a year. She is more likely to die if you send her to treatment that night than she is to die. The stopping and starting is how they die.
1: Certainly, it seems to take a lot of people out for
0: sure. Until the fentanyl's came into the scene, right? But so, so what I thought was, we'll have this podcast, "Don't Die," and addicts will listen to it, and their parents will listen to it, and they start getting, stop getting duped by all these sleazy recovery centers. When in fact, the audience for this "Don't Die" podcast is other treatment professionals that feel the same way as you and I, Chuck. (laughs) I get letters yeah. from millions of people that listen, or you know, thousands of treatment professionals listen to it because they feel like we're the people on the front lines, and we're trying to get these kids to wise up. And and it doesn't seem it seems like we're throwing a cup of water into the ocean. It really does. And so we wanted "Don't Die" to spread. We've got the two guys that started the second chapter of "Don't Die" in Wisconsin. Don't Die, Wisconsin. You guys there?
1: I'm here. I'm there Patrick. you are, Patrick and <laughs> hey, Kevin. I'm here.
0: What's happening? I'm here, Kevin. Kevin and Patrick, correct?
1: All right. Wait, we're missing yep, one.
0: We, we
2: have a third member, Ron. Brian Gorman. Yeah. He's uh,
0: he's spending time with his wife tonight. Oh,
1: so. good. That'll, that'll, wait, yeah. Wait, when did wives become more important than this? <laughs> yeah.
0: That, well, those that don't get divorced, I know about that. <laughs> There's nothing. So I thought we would just talk about the treatment community more directly to them. I can tell you just in that subject, if you don't pay attention to your own life and your own things and you keep catching all this negativity that clients and their sadness and desperation will will hoist upon you, you will end up divorced and miserable because I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) So now there ain't nothing more important some drug addict down in Laguna Beach ain't more important than my kids and my wife. You know, know, you know, and other treatment professionals yeah. need to be supported in that. Listen, you know, we want to do our best, but at the end of the day, you go home and have a steak dinner. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, boundaries are super important, man. I, 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 And every once in a while, I lose them, and I got to recheck myself and say, like, obviously joking about what's more important than wives. I mean, I never wanted to be an Alano Club hero who sat in the Alano Club for three meetings a day and didn't have a life you know, and I've managed to get a life and now I need to take care of that, you know, and maintain it. Yeah. So you guys both,
0: you guys are up in Wisconsin. You heard the don't or don't die podcast and you wanted to do it yourself there for the kids there in Wisconsin, right? In Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh,
3: so we,
2: uh, I think it was like your, your guys first episode or something like that. And I had been listening to listening to this life
0: Yeah, and then,
2: uh, and then I think you got you started Don't Die and I checked it out and I started sharing it with some of my friends and Kevin and I were thinking about doing a podcast for a while, but never really did it. And then you guys came out with Don't Die and I think in your first episode, I mean, this is addict thinking, but I think you said like, steal it. Um, yeah, and use it. We kinda, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we kind of ran with it and um, we, uh, we Kevin it. and I, yeah, we stole it and we, uh, we talked to Ryan and then we got it all going and everything. And then after we got it kind of almost, up and running and recorded our first episode then we decided
0: to ask you guys if it was okay that's fine um, so, this, so you gotta understand most people don't know most people meet me or, or i come in contact with they just can't figure out where the fuck i'm coming from and i'm coming from <laughs> i'm coming from the punk rock indie rock world of 1978 1979 1980 81 where you know it was this community of like we just want to fucking smash everything down right we just want Fleetwood Mac to die and it (laughs) didn't matter and it didn't matter who made the money or whose brand was more important. It wasn't this 21st century world that we live in where if I thought of don't die, that's a brand and I got to brand that and that's going to be my rehab's brand. You mean you didn't patent it? I just, I just don't give a fuck. I haven't had a lawyer since 2001. Like everybody says, Oh, you got to have your lawyer look at it. Like, no, I can read and if it seems like it makes sense, I'll do it. And if it doesn't, I won't. And in the worst case scenario, you're gonna sue me because you're from Orange County. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, you know what I mean? What do you so want against a- Orange County? Mac, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I'm just trying to come across like I. It's an idea. Well, the only people
1: that... Orange I, County's a well, problem.
0: Well, really? Do you want to joke about it? I started <laughs> no, I know, two I know, rehabs know, in Orange County. I, I started two fucking rehabs in Orange County. Uh, and before you even talk about patient care, they've got their lawyers going to look over the, uh, the business agreement. I've never seen... And in LA, I started Aloe. Me and Evan and Jared went to a smoothie place and said, let's do it. We've never had a legal contract between us i fucking love you bob you know what i mean so (laughs) i come from that world that you just i had an idea i'm a fucking retard i won't be able to execute it very well like Thelonious monster (laughs) but but yeah that was executed so fucking well it was so awful we were one of the best bands and we just we just were we just floundered right but 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 we inspired other bands that were very successful. That's the thing. So that's what I always think. I'm the guy that comes up with an idea and can't follow it through. We (laughs) influenced some
4: flounders too. (laughs) both ways. But like Whiskey Biscuit, remember them? Whiskey Biscuit. Yeah,
0: they were good flounders. But there was other people like I won't mention that have told me that The Monster was very inspirational to them. So. So the make? idea is you guys go with it, and maybe you'll be the successes with the don't die thing because me, Mike, and Chuck are fucking lost.
1: <laughs> true. <laughs> you have no idea how true that is. <laughs> so how is it going?
0: You got people inspired to tell young people not to die? That's all basically the message is. <laughs> don't die
3: while you're trying to get sober. I, I, feel, I feel, you know, there's moments where I get inspired, Bob. And then, you know, like, it was December 8th, Patrick, when um, the Milwaukee medical examiner came out with um, eight overdose deaths in Milwaukee in 24-hour period. Oh, my God. It just, it, it just fucking kills me. It's just like a slug to the gut.
0: Is it the and, fentanyl? Is it um, fentanyl there?
3: Or is it just, yeah. what is
0: it, fentanyl? No. Yeah, you were talking on the, yeah.
4: on the Don't Die Wisconsin about how they were, weren't even done processing the first ones. When the second one started, they were just all rolling in, you know, all the reports.
3: Yeah. Well,
0: that's, here's, so, and, and uh, you know, what's happening here, I just was dealing with it last week, and, and it just came out, the autopsy report on this YouTube rapper star Lil Peep. He had fentanyl and Xanax and what yeah. they're finding is they're lacing these these pill places are lacing they're mixing a little bit of fentanyl with a little bit of uh diazepam and calling it Xanax yeah. it's crazy what's going on so we've got to inform the kids like listen this ain't this ain't this is serious business but i i always understand that kids think they're bulletproof and it's never going to happen to them a b millennials are a strange generation that don't care if it happens to them. And I mean, literally, really don't care whether they live or die because they've been brainwashed to believe that there's no hope and society's so fucked up and Trump and fucked up. And, you know, it's amazing what technology has brought us. It's brainwashed a generation to think that there is no hope. And when you see the adults running around this country acting like they do, you know sometimes i feel hopeless they're
1: kind of telling the story to the kids aren't they yeah i mean they're it's
0: crazy like i always say you know liberal kids will come up to me and say these fucking trump people i go it's a bunch of old people they're gonna be dead in like eight years don't worry about it this is your world you're inheriting you're 20 fuck the old people they're gonna be gone all these fucking miserable old people in florida fuck them they're going to be gone. Millennials rule will rule for the next forty years.
1: Yeah, but then they're going to have their kids to deal with.
0: Well, I've got some of those too. I, <laughs> I, I cross generations.
1: Yep. <laughs> so, Me too. so yeah. I
0: I don't know how to inspire them other than than from an antisocial perspective that I grew up in and that I still have, which is. Fuck it. Have fun, live life, seize life by the throat and live it. And and I really believe it. I'm sure you guys have had that experience when you're the big book says we we wear our sobriety like a loose comfortable garment, right? That's how I live right. my life and it's and it's got a punk rock fuck you sticker in the back. You know what I mean?
3: Right.
0: And the, we and are
3: not a glum lot. We're not
0: a glum lot. We can be a sardonic lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice word <laughs> Sorry well
4: yeah it doesn't say we can't be defiant either
0: yeah but but the idea being that you're trying to inspire and the only way i know how to inspire is who inspired me that people that shared their ideas in their life and themselves and so i try to share my ideas in my life and myself with my clients and it seems to inspire some of them right? It does. Don't you, don't you find, you've got some kids in Milwaukee that have caught on to your thing and are inspired, aren't they?
3: Definitely. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So there there are definitely a bunch of people who are listening to the, to the podcast are actually learning. Actually, I just, I got a, a text message today from someone in Portland who's a friend of mine who grew up in Milwaukee, who who listened to it and really got informed about like, Wait a second. How I look at the fact of being a recovering human being, a person in recovery, I have to look at that differently because, like you said, Botta, the deaths are real, and they're they're not getting less; they're getting more. And uh, it, it really takes uh, you have to take ownership of how we use and choose our language with the people coming through these doors in whatever. Uh, venue of recovery they come through whether it's refuge recovery whether it's twelve step recovery smart recovery whatever it is I think uh, we as a community have to be very cognizant of the language we use um and 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 I think you know Patrick you you always say this and it's just so brilliant like why is my opinion more important than your life
0: Oh my God Yeah Well you know the thing I started noticing what inspired me about AA and i started going to it in 1984 and i got sober in 1996 so that's a long time of going to something and failing at it right but i never felt like what? i was failing at it because the people were so cool to me you know what i mean they weren't they weren't judging me and telling I, me i wasn't doing it right i swear to god they were not because if they would have, I would have never gone yeah. back for twelve years.
1: You, you know, it's funny. I just read a thing about that where this guy was saying, "You and you just said it with the language. It's the language we use when you when we say, you know, maybe you need to go do some more research. We're telling somebody who already That's has mean. extremely low self esteem that they're not worth five minutes of your time. You it's, know, that,
0: it's very peculiar how it changed, but it definitely changed. I remember. You know, I would go to third uh, to this thing Fountain at Fairfax was the big AA clubhouse in the eighties. I'd go there, you know, uh, you know, for the Saturday morning meeting. Then on the way back, because I lived a few blocks away, I'd be walking and I'd stop at the liquor store and get a six pack. And all the AA people would toot their horns at me as I was walking down the street, going thumbs up, you know. And there was nothing but love and like understanding, truth, love, and understanding. And then. Fast forward 20 years, it's like, yeah, you know, when are you going to get it right? And you got to work the steps and all this kind of stuff. And that's why kids are so turned off by it. That's the truth. If we were just cool, like, you know, uh, that, you know, you keep trying, that's the amazing thing, that your back is the amazing thing. It's amazing.
2: Right, 100%. Yeah.
0: I wanted this conversation to be, to start to spread out to people I think like myself who feel marginalized in the 12-step world. I definitely, the last 10 years have not felt a part of the 12-step community in Los Angeles because it just went way far right. Like, like Breitbart, right? Like crazy. (laughs) You gotta like work the steps or die. You know what I mean? And I, I never, it was never presented to me that way. And that's why I kept coming back until it, until it clicked. And, I, you know, I just don't feel that way about it. And I, I often think that when, when the recovery, when the, when the 12-step world kind of veered off, I, I noticed in the late 90s and around the turn of the century, people were sharing not their own experience or opinion, but what they thought newcomers needed to hear. So all of a sudden, we're just, we're just saying things that we think new people need to hear. That, that's not what the big book describes as what's supposed to go on. You're supposed to share your experience, strength, and hope, not your opinion of what you think people want to hear. Do you know what I'm saying, Chuck?
1: Yes, I, I hear that. No, I hear that totally. And that I hadn't thought about it. This is what I like about hanging out with you is you, you crystallize things that I think, but I hadn't really put into words yet.
0: Okay, <laughs> so Kevin, you'll understand this because you've been around a long time. So- I helped a friend of mine who I love, right? I'm not going to say his name, but I love him. He's a great guy. It was the biggest pain in the ass for a fucking year, right? <laughs> to the point where yeah. me and my other friend that were trying to help him, neither one of us wanted him to stay at our house, and he was going to a treatment again that we were organizing for him to go for the third time in like five months. And right. and he was supposed to meet me at my MAP offices like at noon. He sh- calls my my cell phone at eight p.m. and goes, "I'm here." I go, "Dude, you're like eight hours late, right?" So <laughs> so he goes, the fuck there, he goes, "What do you want? What do you want me yeah. to do?" I got dropped off here. He's at the office. So then I call my friend who's less. He's more at an arm's distance with him, but he's paying for the guy's treatment. And I go, dude, he's over at the by the map offices at the at the bonds. Will you go? What do you want to do? And he goes, he's not coming to my house again. <laughs> and I go, dude. <laughs> and I was, you know, Sounds I was like <laughs> I was working class counselor guy, right? And and so my friend said, well, take him to a hotel and call and call, and I'll put it on my credit card. So I went. I left my house in Echo Park, drove to Hollywood, picked this guy up, brought him to a Howard Johnson's, went through all the headache of them trusting me that the credit card was good, you know, but it was in a bad area of Hollywood. And we get the guy in and then drive him to Palm Springs the next day to treatment. He leaves after four days, Hmm. right? And then comes back and's on the run and then gets a court and then I t- go to court and deal with it. it. Just goes on and on and on like all four of us and all five of us have dealt with addicts, right? Right. I know ten, that story. Ten, ten, years, ten years later, I see him and he's in my our home group saying, you know, I just you know what happened with me is I I came here, I did anything, Bob and so-and-so, I won't say the other guy's name who, you know, paid for the treatment. Bob, I d- came here and I did whatever Bob and so-and-so said. And I just went,
1: what? <laughs> you
0: didn't do one thing we said, ever. And somehow yeah. the miracle of sobriety struck you. But, and so I right. confronted him after me. I go, dude, do you not remember the Howard Johnson and driving you to Desert Hot Springs and you left and you came back and then you don't remember any of that? And he goes, no, I just think it, you know, it's for the newcomer, Bob.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> okay.
0: You just come here and do whatever wow. people say.
1: That's not; they're not going to relate to that. They're going to relate to I showed up, did as little as I could, avoided people, showed up late, left early, <laughs> didn't take any direction, said sponsor, what the fuck, you know? Don't tell me what to do, old man. No yeah. one tells me what to do.
0: But but it just yeah. that's that defines to me it crystallizes this thing of what the newcomer needs to hear. They need to hear your story cuz they're the same asshole right now that you were 10 years ago and now you're not. That's what they need right. to hear. Mhm. Right? So <laughs>
4: absolutely <laughs> so absolutely. i get
0: i get really passionate about it and i think you <laughs> really? know i really do because i think that millennials are the same as anybody else they're looking for meaning and and a solution to the existential angst of life and 12 steps are it but they're being prevented from experiencing them by how they're presented to them you know I deal with millennials every day they never want to go to 12 step m- m- world because of that because everything is geared towards them they have to get do this they have to do that and you know i you don't know, I, know, I, I don't think i w- could have gotten sober in a in a in a 21st century world
1: you know and unfortunately it seems that the game has changed a little bit it's so toxic you know we used to say Well, you know what, if if what we say drives them out, you know, dope and booze will run them back in, but they don't run back in as often. It's like one of the guys I work with, he goes, he goes, for 18 years, I shot dope and never overdosed once. Well, these kids are shooting for 18 months and they've overdosed 10 times Yeah, because it's a different game. So yeah, if we run them out, that might be the only opportunity they had. And I don't want to be the guy that puts them back out there ever. That's been my goal for the last few years. That's my the that way my sponsor does things. It's like, wait, I'm not going to be the one who goes, here's five bucks, go get it on.
0: So I have a solution. It's in the first 164 pages of Alcoholics Anonymous. I suggest all people with 18 years sobriety read it again. I suggest people with 18 hours sobriety read it. I suggest, and everybody in between should read it. Because you forget, if you don't get, you know, uh, I had a great sponsor who used to always trick me with fun things, right? (laughs) And she'd she'd say, why do we meet? And and just to pound into your head, stop thinking it's about you. It's about the newcomer. Why do we meet? It says it on page 54 or something. We meet on a regular basis so the new person can come and talk about their problem. That's the only reason we meet. That's the only time meetings are ever talked about in the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. How about that? We meet on a regular cool. basis so the new person can come and talk about their problem.
1: Right. And hopefully get some Love solution.
0: And so so, you know, and, and yeah. I've done it over the years and years and years. I still have my big book that I was given to me in L.A. County Jail in 1996. It's got my booking number, 204611. Ooh, right? Bob
1: got a number.
0: I got a number. When I heard that number called in the middle of the night, I was like, this can't be happening. That was a lucky uh, thing getting out.
1: Do you ever play it as like lottery numbers or anything?
0: No, I never do. I always play Michael Jordan on roulette, and I always lose. Twenty
1: three. That's because you're playing a
0: roulette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I
1: don't gamble anymore either. I I got into that too. So <laughs> Well, it's been red twelve times. It's gotta be black. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I I went with a friend of mine who who kept betting twenty three and he won all the time. And so then I've been betting it for a deck I'd been betting it for a decade, never won one time. I won- I saw him in one night hit it three times, twenty three. So Crazy. that became my number. So, how are you guys? Uh, so, so you, you you both work in treatment, right? Yeah, correct. And and do you see do you see two problems in treatment that we see out here? And I wonder if you have it there. So, the grown adults that were traditionally the recovery market, the recovery clientele, the Hazelden. When I went to Hazelden, I always say I was twenty seven. I was the youngest person in my unit. How about that? 27 right and so the adults don't want to be in with the kids the kids don't want to be there at all so you got a rehab that nobody wants to be in (laughs) and i liked being in rehab when i was in rehab back in the
1: day i liked it i think the kids like it because they know that they've got the upper hand and they call the shots you know, we, Yeah, we, we, but they're still being prevented yeah, from
0: having sex and being on YouTube and Facebook. And mm. if it's a good rehab, they're prevented from right. being on YouTube,
1: and you
0: porn and fucking everything yeah.
1: else. <laughs> right? Be good or be good at it, kids.
0: As we've gone through, you guys go through this problem with whether they can have their phones or not? It's been a, a revolving door that I can't figure out. Like, do, do you have Patrick. phones at the rehabs there?
2: Patrick, do you want to talk well, about that? yeah sure so i we work at an outpatient right so we're not we're we're not inpatient um uh, I know like a, the the inpatients around us it most of the time it's no phones, but then you hear about phones all the time in the outpatient world we we try our best to to say no phones in group um we've done I've done things like where turn your phone in before we
1: start. And yeah, uh, a little basket. Then, yeah, and that's a good. Practice. Yeah, and then, it's not good yeah, when somebody claims
0: time, that, you lo- that you lost their iPhone and you owe them eight hundred dollars. I can guarantee you I've been in that boat. <laughs>
2: exactly. Exactly. Um, what I what, one time what I did was uh, when we weren't collecting them, uh, this person was using their phone, and um, I kind of went like old school, like my dad would have done. Is I said that he could keep his phone, but everybody else had to give me theirs. So I kind of <laughs> uh, that's a good one. put <laughs> them, yeah. pitted them all against each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, we do our best to keep them off the phones. But
0: um, well, I, I understand that a, a phones problem. are phones are you know, it's not it's not flip phones. Phones are a part of all of our lives. So I've tried different things. If clients can't have, because the staff will always say at allo you know, they're on their phones We shouldn't have their phones. Why do they have their phones? I said, okay, let's, none of us have our phones. If clients can't have their phones, let's staff not have their phones either. Oh, that didn't go over so well. I think it's a great (laughs) idea for for
1: during groups. That's a great idea. I don't, that's why I bring a watch in so I can keep track of the time. I don't bring my phone in so it doesn't vibrate. It doesn't, you don't see the flashing light. None of that is distracting. I keep it in my office and, uh, I like it just because I feel like I'm kind of on their team for that minute, and I go, "Hey, I don't have my phone either."
0: But, but other but, other staff members have their phones. I yeah, mean, people, and that, that's annoying. I just find it. I find it hypocritical if the if the if the facilitator can be looking at their phone, why can't the client? Nobody's I've always, that
1: important that they can't be gotten a hold of for an hour.
0: Listen. So so i've started using the phone as a as a tool right so i allow the clients to have the phones and let's talk about phones and talk about what what it is that that why they're so attached to it because i think it is a huge issue in our society technology like go anywhere i'm guilty of it myself if i want my kids to calm down in a restaurant like i did last night you just give them your phones Right? Yep, look at pictures. Yeah. Rather than yep. teach them how to be in a restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so then we wonder cuz I have a 2-year-old, almost 2 and 7, and then they we wonder why when they're 18, 19 they get to our rehab, they don't know how to behave at dinner. Because because none of us got taught they they're not being taught. Like hey, we're in a restaurant. Knock it off. You know what I mean? I think
2: that's another job, another job, another job of ours in, in, in that group setting too. Is I mean, a lot of times these kids per se they they have no idea. They've never been taught that that's rude or disrespectful. They or never have. Pay attention. They don't
0: see it as rude. That needs to be addressed.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, you know that there hasn't been, and I used to joke about it. uh probably 10 years ago when phones started getting way more prevalent in my life because I wasn't a fan of cell phones or compact discs or anything new. <laughs> Once I get comfortable with old technology, I'm there. But the, the idea of there's never been a phone etiquette site that you can go to and say, ask a question. You know, People put their phones on the table, and I find that to be aggressive and almost bothersome. When I'm, if I'm going to sit down with someone, I don't want to see their phone. I want to be I want to be in that minute in that figure. You're going you're going to be awfully lonely, Chuck. <laughs> it works. It works with the with, with the people I know, but I mean, the idea being how they don't know you're talking to somebody and they go, "Just a second, got to get this." Well, you know what? I got to leave.
0: Well, no, the, yeah. and and so that's why I always think check yourself and then and then look at the new people or then look at your clients. This constant ongoing um, monitoring of my own self and my own counter transference and my own feelings and my own behavior. And then, and then my then switch gears and look at what is my job here. So, my job at Rehab Center these days is to help the helpable and be cool to the, to the unsurrendered. I, I concluded that years ago like my only and you know who the people are they come up to you after group and they have they want to talk about things and they're talking about deep things and meaningful things instead of like what rule or what time are we going to eat or what's going on this weekend all the all the technical questions that the unsurrendered have right or i want to talk to you because i was promised my own room and now i have a roommate all that stuff i just be cool to those people I don't be rude to them. I don't right. browbeat them. I just be cool and answer their questions. And then focus on the people who are really asking, like, what does it mean to be constitutionally incapable of being honest? What does it mean? Right? I had a great experience with this old friend of mine that had was probably the second worst addict situation I've ever seen in my life. Maybe the first. And I think everybody knows the first is john fashante but but this was a close second right and he's in my treatment center and he doesn't say anything he can't even really talk for the first month and <laughs> and he and he's like you know he's been living like a wild animal drug addict with unlimited resources for a, more than a decade and at the end of this one group he raised his hand like he was in eighth grade because he had never talked in the whole time he'd been there and i said do you want to say something and he goes no i want to talk to you afterwards and i was like okay <laughs> and he comes up and he goes you know what i realize now and i said what and he goes you know what the worst thing for a drug addict is and i was like jail and he cuz he had just gotten out of jail and i said and i said jail and he said no 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 unlimited resources it's the worst mm-hmm. thing for a drug addict because it isolates you so much he didn't even know how to talk. He didn't even know how to be human anymore. Right? And he wow. was just starting to become human yep. again. And, uh, you know, so that's your, our job. We're supposed to be helping the, the helpable and be cool to the unhelpable.
1: Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Then, well, I like yeah. this. I like, I like this side of you, Bob. I, <laughs> whenever we get to this again, when we're talking about the, this is what it's about. That's what it comes down to. I mean, how are we going to make the biggest impact? There's By so telling much people focus. what we think we ne- they need to hear or by listening to the people and giving them the information they're asking for as honestly as possible.
0: And then the, the sad thing with that friend of mine is he did great for three months. It was like a transformation that no one had seen. And then a young gal came into the RTC program. And I saw yeah, him cozying oh up to her, and I and I love this guy. We lived together in the mid '80s, and I I went. I said, "Come to my office," and we sat in there. I go, "Dude, you can't do this. You're gonna die. You don't understand. I, you got to trust me on this." You can't. he goes, "Dude, do you know how long it's been since I've had sex?" Yeah, <laughs> it's been like ten years <laughs> since he had, had sex. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, you're choosing between that and, like, I'm telling you, it's going to end disastrously. There'll be a time and place for that, but he just couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, he's still alive now, but he couldn't, you know, that sex drive pops back up, and I think we all need to be aware of that. You know what I mean? That's
1: that's such a multiple-edged sword, too, because it's about, there's so much more involved than just sex. It's that's such a weird. Uh, I watched that take so many people so quick. It's such a big deal. It 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 fills so many holes. <laughs> I hate that, that. Bad way to say it. But, it, but, uh, that, but uh, did you th- did you plan to say that? <laughs> no, but it does. It fills it feels the, the wow, needy, Chuck. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god, Chuck.
0: We just veered <laughs> off into Howard Stern territory. Uh, well, whatever. this is about life and death issues. This isn't promoting a new movie. Uh, like so whatever you know what I'm saying yeah They, they knew but you guys you guys have seen it everything's swimming along great and then some obstacle comes in the way I've had other clients that just had no job skills and no ability and no faith and no and no confidence that they could get a job and just kind of flounder away and go back to using so it's just the eye of a needle it's the eye of a needle it's a camel through the eye of a needle that people mm. get sober. And we've always got to understand that, you know, I think there's too much okay. of like, it's easy to get sober. It's easy to get off drugs, right? It's easy to get off drugs. It's hard to get sober, right? To be sane, yeah. to be rational, to, to put one foot in front of the other. That's sobriety to me. Getting off drugs is easy.
1: Easier. Yeah, it's still, I, I, watch, I watch the struggle. I see their eyes when it's just like, you know, that, that there's those simple lines from that book you keep talking about where it's like to live by spiritual, uh, where is it, or to die an alcoholic death, to live by, you know, spiritual. that is a
0: dilemma. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a crossroads. But it's, but it's absolutely not. It, it, it does, there's
1: no content.
0: No, dude, I was at that crossroads for 11 years. Well, that's and I was that's thinking, like, Freedom. And friendship is down that way, <laughs> and death and sadness is down that way. I'm going to go down that way just a little ways and see what's going on down there.
1: Stick my toe in that one, see what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, know. right. Is it warm. And, yeah,
0: and so so I just I just think we need to spread the word amongst us treatment professionals how to do our job. Yeah. How to do our job? What is the purpose of our job? What is the mission statement where we work? And we all know most mission statements are highest net profit, right?
1: <laughs>
0: Let's face it. That's not what they print. That's not what it says on the website. Does it
1: not say that? No, it, I, it doesn't. <laughs> not where I work. It's not. A, that's it. That's oh. We say that during oh. the handshake, during the secret okay. handshake.
0: Okay. So... So the I, th-
2: I think if I, I I think if I read that on a website, I might honestly be like, whoa, <laughs> these
3: guys are honest. I <laughs> mean, I'll yeah. there. Like-
0: <laughs> well, let's face it, when 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 a re- when a rehab company goes public and is a publicly traded company, I'm not believing their mission statement is to heal the the, the sick and, no. and cloth the clothe the the naked. Right? So right. so we no. have an industry that basically is since Obamacare and the Parity Act, it's it's a for-profit industry and profit is a main driver of it, right? So, mm-hmm. so, and, and I just always think like the best way to measure a treatment center is, is the quality of the people who work there, right? That, right. that you know, I, I tend to like when owner-operators work at the treatment center. Uh, that's a trustworthy thing. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Now,
4: how different are the how different are the um, insurance laws in uh, Wisconsin?
0: They're the same. They're well, the they are. same,
2: basically. I mean the, the state insurance. So yeah, it's in, all Wisconsin, shit. The state
0: t- insurance is shit everywhere, and now they're going to cut it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but and <laughs> in, in, in there's there's no there's no inpatient uh, coverage in but the state, of Wisconsin for state insurance.
0: Is there s- suboxone for state insurance? Yeah. 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 Yes. So that's, that's, so on, that's the main anybody movers. Anybody on in state yeah.
2: insurance is, out, yeah, is outpatient. Is offered
0: yeah. Suboxone. So that's the main movers of that. And, and I think that's slowly going to creep into the recovery industry as a whole. It, it already
1: has At insurance companies, the case managers start asking why isn't the client interested in craving, um, what do they call it? Craving control medication. Or craving control. It's called medication. something like that. I forget what the words are, but it's. I got it some is.
0: good craving control medication. It's called heroin. Yeah, it, it's it, great it, craving <laughs> control medicine.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's the idea. I mean, I understand if it's like Vivitrol, where it keeps them from being able to get high, but a craving control medication, Suboxone, is something that gets them loaded.
0: Chuck, you got to wait when when a good joke is said and people are laughing. You mm-hmm. got to pause and let them laugh. I don't know. <laughs>
4: Yeah, we used to just call that Valium, right?
0: Well, that's that's uh, no, that's to get come down off crack, isn't it? What is what is that term, Chuck? What's the clinical term for that? I, I, Coming no. down to mildly sedate after uh, 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 stimulant intoxication. Hey, did
4: anybody ever shoot <laughs> speed for like five days in a row just to get off a of heroin? Because hey, I did
0: that. Hey, well, I did it too. But <laughs> but let me let me tell you guys something a little bit about Mike Mart probably (laughs) so Mike is the only person you gotta understand I had a band called Thelonious Monster in the 80s and Mm -hmm. four of the five members were speedballing freak drug addicts right including myself Mm -hmm. Mike is the only person who's ever been kicked out of that band for having a drug problem
1: Yeah, that's
0: how (laughs) far (laughs) and we were all high when we fired him
1: I heard you were smoking crack <laughs> while you were firing him going Dude, you gotta go. This
0: You're is not out. working out, Mike. You are really got a drug problem. And
4: the funny and the funny thing is is I don't even remember, right? Like I just It was go. at the
0: Hoover Studios right down the street from your I, house and you just walked home. I remember I just, watching watching you walk home.
4: I don't even remember. I just remember <laughs> thinking like, Oh, I guess I'm not in that band anymore. You know, Boy,
0: that's, a, that's one less headache in my life. Yeah. Right. And then. Yeah. And so so that's Mike Martine's claim to fame. But secondarily to that claim to fame as all time champion rock and roll drug addict of Hollywood, we used to smoke crack. Me and Martine, And who else was you, who who was coming over to your house, Mike, once you were just living in your house?
4: Oh, over in Silver Lake?
0: Yeah, was it me? I lived around the corner. Would martine go there?
4: Yeah, and
0: Tony yeah. Malone. Tony Malone. So we go over the there. Tony Malone. Mike, huh? Michael's our lower companion, right? And I go over there one day, and he's got... <laughs> yeah, and I lived
1: in the basement. <laughs> Designated lower companion. And he's companion. got these
0: tweezers, you know, just like you see out of a methamphetamine exaggerated movie. And he's getting these things out of his skin. Oh right? nice! And I'm like, dude, there's nothing in there. Oh god! And well, that's <laughs> what happens
4: when you have cocaine psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. You remember, you remember, Fushanti thought there were pigs in it. Yeah, in pigs his in his eyes. Eyes
0: or something. But but
4: Or in his van. Well, listen, for, Shant- for Fushanti, it was pigs. For <laughs> me, it was just little shrimp.
0: Little shrimp in his <laughs> lunch. <laughs> so so how hmm. can? Here's the thing. It doesn't go much further than then these people were talking about myself, Mike, uh, uh, this other guy, Matt, this friend of mine that I was talking about earlier, we're all alive. We're all alive. We all live through decades of that. How come kids are dying when I don't even think they're drug addicts yet? That's why I started this podcast. That's why I like to just tell kids, don't die. Be careful. Right. Do, you know what I mean? And that, that, you know, that message needs to spread to the recovery community. The both, right. both the twelve step recovery that's, community and the recovery industry. Kids are dying.
2: That's really that's really kind of what we took uh and ran with. I mean we have taken that uh in our podcast. It's just kind of like the education because you, you asked why in my opinion, uh who knows if it's right or not, I believe there's not really a drug culture anymore per there se. Isn't. Um You're right. And a lot of a lot of these kids, you know, maybe started using whatever, took the pills from their parents' cabinet, and however they ended up banging dope, um, they're banging dope, like, alone in their car in the Taco Bell parking lot, or... That's or, um, yeah, where they learn how well, to shoot
0: up, on, U- on YouTube. Uh, yeah.
3: yeah, in the bathroom alone.
0: Like I, I had to have friends do it for me for years, and then girlfriends, and then finally I was desperate. I had been an intravenous drug user for five years. I still didn't
1: know how to shoot up chocolate. That's my boy. Right. <laughs> Way to be so <laughs> Just sufficient. Just yeah. put my arm out.
0: <laughs> well, musicians always got yeah. a junkie girlfriend, too. And,
2: <laughs> and Bob, you, Bob, you talked about it earlier. I mean, I think a lot of the deaths happened. Like when there's a return to use, I mean uh, the fentanyl thing has thrown a big wrench in the gears. I mean, people—you never know what you're getting—and especially in our community, I mean, there's way like last week we had eight go in one night. I mean, there's waves of that where um, they'll something will come in and and we'll we'll lose like anywhere from like three to you know eight people in a night, um, and they're falling out. And I think a lot of it happens from that introduction of fentanyl um, but a lot of it happens I think either when there's a return to use you know when there is some clean time and they lose that tolerance um, and they come back and there's shame involved
0: but listen to this though when you return to use having just been at rehab you usually use by yourself Right, the kids usually—they're used to using by themselves, so they use by themselves, not knowing how dangerous it is. They're usually lying to their parents. So many kids just out of rehab have been discovered dead in their parents' home. I can't tell you.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) So we share a responsibility in this, and and I think that to say that we don't is a sin. It's a sin,
3: right? Right?
0: That
2: you
3: know. Well, anyway, we we know
2: that that how many percent of them are going to return to use? Like 90, I would love 90%.
0: for everyone. To,
2: <laughs> I mean, we, we have a duty to, to, to inform them and tell them about, uh, for lack of a better terms, safe use. You know, that's a, that's, I think that's part of our job. I know. I mean, if I know
0: that nine,
2: nine, nine, that's, not that's frowned upon. Yeah. And and why is it frowned upon? I, well liability i don't know they're scared of it what you guys tell me you're smarter well, than me
0: no because because it's a hold on it, because it's a for-profit industry that is very focused on profit and to say that you're why do no websites say what their success rate is right i don't mind saying we have a 10 percent success rate i don't mind saying that that's good i know many treatment centers have a zero percent rate right so you know, traditionally drug addiction is a multiplex it's a multi-layered problem that you know just think about it what other behavior? <sighs> what other human behavior do people get so obsessed with that they would do anything for debase themselves harm their children uh rob steal, give, up, give up everything give yeah, up everything, everything. for It's opiates. It's opiates. And and for decades, the the federal government and the public consciousness as a whole held that it is so dangerous, this drug, this Pandora's box, heroin, is so dangerous that we did a good job of keeping a lid on it that only 3% of the population ever indulged in that. Now, with Purdue Pharmacy, and the pain management movement that started in the late 90s, every American has now opened that Pandora's box. Every, I, I, I guarantee you, there isn't an American that has not at one time or another experienced opiate intoxication. The American public has now been exposed to opiates so that soccer moms and lawyers and doctors and people that would always have steered clear of that drug have now been given to the, given it to them by Walgreens and CVS, right? So it looks safe. Right. It looks sanitized. It looks the same as as other safer medications, right? And so once you open that box, I mean, I always say... The, you know, no matter how good my life gets, it's still probably just equal to being really good and high on heroin. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I talked to some 20 year olds who smoke fentanyl patches on foil and there's no smoke, there's just fumes. And yeah, and it, he said it feels like you get nothing and then bam, you're just fucking high as a motherfucker.
0: Yeah, they used to suck on them. Well, that's
1: scary.
4: They squeeze the juice out. Like, <laughs> well, like, hey, edit that like, out! Don't be
1: telling kids how to do this. No, it's like
4: hand sanitizer, right? It looks like hand sanitizer. They drink
0: that too. Yeah, it, you know, uh, Kevin. I think uh, uh, so. You you've been around it now a long time, right? Yes. So so don't you see the the how lacking in danger people feel about heroin and about opioids in general? I mean, the first time I did heroin, I was 19, I was scared shitless. I was scared I was going to die. I was scared I was going to be immediately like a junkie who hit Mm -hmm. little old ladies over the head for their purses. You know what I mean? You didn't know because you had been brainwashed to know how fucking dangerous this drug is to a human being's (laughs) life, right? Nowadays, there's no danger to it. There's no worry about it.
3: Yeah. That's because it isn't heroin to them. It's, it's oxycotton. It's oxycodone. It's, it's from grandma's, you know, um, counter. It's, it's, so it comes in that way. And then their brain has changed six months from that, you know, as they continue to do that. Then heroin doesn't become that dangerous right? And I'm with you. I mean, the first time I, I, I used a needle and bang dope. I was a sophomore in high school. And I was in the inner city and you know, I had seven people around me when I did it. Yeah. So yeah. when I, and when I, the when same I needle fell, <laughs> yes, probably. Um, and when I fell, I mean, there were people there, you know, for me. Um, but, uh, People, like you said, people aren't doing that. There isn't, so that culture is not there. Like you said, they're learning on YouTube. They're, they're using alone. They're using in the bathroom alone. And um, so eventually, as time goes on, six months, because this this drug is so dangerous, you know, that in six months, you, you you got this guy who's or girl who's completely out of control, who's ripping, you know, mom and dad off, grandma, grandpa, whatever it is, and stealing and so on and so forth, picks up a felony, and then, you know, eventually um, gets through the system, is going through the system, and then that's what you're seeing, you know, today. And then, yeah, you'll have a mom or, or, or a dad who maybe have, has had an injury, and but they got into it through OxyContin. You know, it's it's pharma. It's like you said,
0: it's big pharma. So now it's here, and I don't think we're going back. I don't think the genie's going back in the bottle. I think that no. this next generation, I've noticed in 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids, uh, all the way up to a 16-year-old former client of mine's kid, um... They're very aware now of opiates and Oxycontin. So I, don't, I think we're going to see a dip in it in the exposure rates in the 20 somethings five, 10 years from now. I think it's going to go away. Yeah. But until that time, until this new generation of addicts moves along, it looks like they're going for POT, uh, Xanax, um, you know, which, which to me, you can't really die off pot and Xanax. I mean, you'd have to take a lot of Xanax to die, but you really yeah. can't die up from Xanax. But, yeah, and so the death yeah. rate has got to subside and it's got to start sunsetting sometime. But I don't think in the near future, I think five years from now, you're going to see. And here's the interesting thing about statistical data that I think is just bullshit. You know, I worked with a doctor who loves coming up with things that the harvard new england medical journal and all that i always say who who paid them to write that i never trust statistics because i think it's going to naturally go down because 13 year olds have seen their older brothers die right so I think it's going to naturally go down just organically and hu- and in the human it seems to be society. The trend. When right. things
1: build up, there's got to be a but down. But what they're
0: going to say is this suboxone is what made it go down. Yeah. I guarantee you, there will be all sorts of statistical data and research done by the mayor Mayo Clinic about how suboxone made the death rate go down. And I think it's much more human than that. I think drugs come into vogue and and powers that be influence the cult and and then it subsides and and some other but it's not like americans stop taking drugs we're we're the drug taking capital of the world so it'll just be different drugs and i'm looking forward to a time when i don't when i'm dealing with you know marijuana and xanax uh, addicts that are coming into treatment because then when you say well i don't know then go home and smoke pot you know that they're not going to die right
2: exactly 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 and then we can go back to saying like go figure it
1: out yeah but go right now we can't
0: you cannot say go figure it out i i have not you know i used to be pretty hardcore about you don't want to be here then let's get you out of here and i just ha- i just haven't done that in the last four or five years you know i i don't want people to leave in the middle of the night when they're smuggled drugs in i usually let them stay till the next day and i eat the one-on-one you know you guys know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, so If, exactly. persons, if exactly. the person in our our outpatient uses, it's a allo policy. They don't get kicked out. We absorb the cost of watching them and monitoring them overnight until all staff is there the next day, and we can place the person somewhere or talk to their family or whatever. the 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 Hardcore programs and the for profit programs are. Just get them out. It's not our responsibility. We need to discharge them. I was was at Allo for eight hours two two Thursdays ago trying to make sure that this kid got to a place safely. You won't have many owners fucking taking eight hours out of their day to sit next to a client and make sure that they don't uh, run off and go die. You just won't. Right, And so I hope there's places in Milwaukee where you guys are. It sounds like you you guys are that. But, you know, right. I, I'm here to make a difference. I, you know, money is money. Yeah. I, I never understand yeah. money, you guys. I really don't. Like, I, <laughs> I got enough money. I, I mean, I don't know what set for life is. I was talking to a friend of mine who was talking about set for life, and a friend of ours lost his job over a sexual harassment thing, and we were like, we both agreed he's set for life, but he may not think he's set for life. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, I mean, I don't get the 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 bloodthirsty uh, need for millions of dollars. I never have understood that. Like, just enough to right. take care of your family and be comfortable and go to Disneyland. What more do you fucking need? You know what I mean?
1: Right. Well, you know, Disneyland and uh, food and stuff, that's it, really. It's 140 a month. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. It's 140 a <laughs> month to go to Disneyland anytime you want. No, but you you guys know what I'm saying, and I'm sure that there's there's different types of owners there. There's owners that are driving those Mercedes Benz fancy cars, and then there's guys that are guys or gals that are, huh? (laughs) You've got them there in Milwaukee, right? Or outside? Oh
3: yeah, we do. But I mean, Patrick and I work for a guy who feels that it's very important that you know that he sends someone like Patrick and myself uh, many many times. Uh, to go um and hang with the dude like you said um because he doesn't want him to die. Um so it's the right thing you know, to do there are the people. Yeah, right. Um so there are the people here as well that wanna do the right thing for the right oh, reason and not Yeah, definitely, but are in this industry, you know, and, and wanna do you know, and save people's you know, quote unquote, their life. Give them a chance to save their own life. Really, yeah. I know we're running out of time, but
2: I just want to get this out there, Bob. Um, about so, um, what, eight years?
0: Yeah, eight years, I, I heard you this story, and it just makes me embarrassed. But I love that. Well, yeah, go ahead and then, say it. then just shut up and listen, <laughs> and take a <the> compliment.
2: Uh, <laughs> I uh, told you so to i am eight years. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I'm eight years. I'm eight years clean and sober, and about uh, five years ago, um, I kind of got into this world, and I started in sober living and with no no education or anything like that, and I I watched, uh, what is it, Bob and the Monster, and at the end, I was watching the credits, and your number was there, um, and I, I said, no fucking way is this actually going to go to him, so I called it, and you picked up the phone and you talked to me for about an hour. <laughs> um, cause I, had, I had some questions, yeah. questions about like the eighth, eighth tradition and all that jazz. And, uh, you took a time, an hour out of your day five years ago. And, and now, uh, and now I'm working in the industry. I get to do a, a podcast with two of my best friends and, uh, I'm married and I have two beautiful kids. Now that isn't because of you, but, uh, I think it's because I'm such so charming and handsome. that I <laughs> yeah. and have, and have two beautiful kids.
1: You've got a made-for-podcast you know, face.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I got I got a face for podcast, but I just wanted to say that, and I, I wanted to publicly thank you um, for doing that.
0: Well, thanks so much, and the, you know. That you guys are trying to spread this word—it's just all of a sudden a bunch of like-minded people are standing up because I think we've all stood by the wayside, kind of, in this patient brokering nonsense and kind of disillusionment and what the twelve-step community has become. And we got to step up now and make it right. Yep,
3: I, 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 that's yep. how I in feel. Intuitive thought. Intuitive thought is where it's at, man. And I think we as drug counselors and people in AA, we need to use intuitive thought, know what language we need to use with the people walking in, into our doors, into our offices, into our clinics, so on and so forth. And Because um, it's a different world. It's a, it's a different drug-using world out there, and we have to be very cognizant of that. You ever heard
0: of a drug? We, always... we, didn't, we didn't get it. Go ahead.
3: We didn't get into this. We didn't get into
2: this. I mean, I didn't do this to, to work with the people that are in maintenance. You know, when we're talking about stages of change. I got into this to work with the people that are pre-contemplative. Maintenance is easy, man. Those people are going to get sober on their own. Like my job is to, like you guys said, be cool with the people that are pre-contemplative. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's why i do
0: this and that's what the recovery is it's just about people sharing their experience strength and hope and loving one another that's all it is it's all it ever was it's all it ever will be and that's why it's effective when it's done like that it's effective when it's done any other way it's ineffective right, right. And so spread the love and spread the tolerance chuck you got some rules for us <laughs>
1: uh look both ways before the chicken crosses the road no, i don't know i'll
0: tell you the story so there's a guy who i constantly have friction with you can understand guys that i have friction with some 12 step not imagine okay so i always say the steps are meant to be suge- they're suggestive only we realize we know only a little it says it in the literature that no one's an expert about it, and it suggested these are the ideas we think are really good to look at and think about, right? And a friend of mine constantly says, "Suggested, Bob, like when you jump out of an airplane, it suggested that you have a parachute." And I go, "Who, who?" When you've said that joke, goes, "Gosh, I want to follow you."
1: <laughs> wow, that's heavy, bro. It's true. Yeah, it's man. Rude
0: you know we're all just trying to and in the end in the end all you're going to get here, here, i think about this a lot cuz i'm probably the oldest one here maybe mike and i are tied uh, uh, i don't know you're pretty old in the end what really mattered what really mattered your children your friends and and that that relationship with other people that's what matters not how much right. is in my bank account you know what I mean?
1: Well, no, I, I like what you're, where you're going with that thing. There's a lot of people say some of the right things, but it was the people that I, they didn't just say, welcome home, but the people that made me feel like I was where I belonged. Uh, not by saying, not by giving me bumper stickers, not by giving me reading out of a book and not telling me what I needed to do or how I needed to do it. But the people that said, you know what, you're all right, because today you're not getting loaded. I always tell, out, well, I always tell people
0: that are relapsing and coming back, it's going to be all right. And I hug them and tell them it's going to be all right. right? And they, years later, they always come back to me and go, how did you know it was going to be all right? And I go, well, I didn't say what all right means. Right? I didn't mean that you were going to get sober because that's not up to me. But I, you know, that reassuring thing, it's going to be all right. You're safe. You're cool. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. We tend to try to connect everything. Right? I was just mostly, I'm always just mostly commenting, you're here now. You're safe now. You're living in love now. I love you. It's okay. I'm not saying you're going to get sober and like, everything's going to work out right and you're going to walk through the raindrops but everybody who gets sober always thinks i'm saying that
1: <laughs> I'm but that's not. good that might be the hope they need let them think it
0: it's going to be okay all right you guys see you later thanks watch listen to the don't die wisconsin podcast i'm sure michael posted on there somewhere and we'll see you guys i'll be up in milwaukee to see that greek freak sooner or later
1: <laughs> Boy, all what's, right. that, what's a Greek freak you don't know
0: sports you're a punk rocker <laughs> He's. Uh, did you see the dunk he had the other night over top of, of uh, uh, Gobert in Utah did you see that
2: it was monstrous it was
0: monstrous <laughs> and I said to my wife there is nobody like that since Magic Johnson the, everybody gets compared to Magic Johnson he is Magic Johnson Hmm. I'll leave you well, it's with that nice when, when, when King James
2: says that you're you're the, the next coming. So that's some pretty good props.
0: Yeah, I've never thought King James that would be LeBron James. I've heard Chuck is Chuck is looking so <laughs> fucking confused right now, you have no idea.
1: It's basketball. But I've never basketball. thought
0: LeBron James was Michael Jordan or Mike Magic Johnson. I think he's just a, a very talented football player playing basketball. Right? It lacks Lacks something that Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson had, and that, how do you say his name? Because uh, I call him the Greek freak because nobody can say his name. What is it? Uh, I, Giannis? I, Giannis I, I know, I know, I, know, I, know it's,
2: I know it's Giannis, and then the, I get lost, and I hear his name 10 times a day on Milwaukee Radio, so I still can't tell you how to say his last name. Yeah. Nor can anyone in Milwaukee tell you how to say his last yeah, name. So. Including sportscasters.
0: Yeah, I know. That's why they came up with the Greek Freak. But I'm coming to Milwaukee just Wait to see second. him.
1: Giannis plays flute or something.
0: <laughs> it's Gianni. Whatever. That's Giannis. Same,
1: same thing.
0: <laughs> all right, you guys. It have sounds, a
4: good night. <laughs> it sounds like we're all going to a basketball game at some <laughs> point. In
0: Milwaukee. <laughs> talk to you sure. later.
1: Hey, great talking to you later. guys, man. Bye, Thank
4: guys. Thank you so Thanks, much. Don't die, Wisconsin.
0: Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.